0: um are just sermons that that you know God gave me and I put together and, and they're great. But then there's other times when God births something in my heart. And and the series that I'm starting today called Caller ID is a, a sermon series that God birthed in my heart in the middle of the night in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. As I told you last week, I was secluded out into a trailer all by myself. Everybody else stayed in the church building, and they kicked me out into a trailer in the parking lot. But I got to sleep out there, and I didn't have to hear anybody else snore like my dad. Um, and they didn't get to hear me snore, and that was a good thing. But... um. But I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this idea of, and as I told you before several times in talking about this series that was coming up, I woke up with the thought, what if the rapture happened? It wasn't a scary thing, but I thought if I was to be here or some way could see my phone from heaven, that would be a better view of it, see my phone, who would I not want to see come up on my caller ID? Because I got to thinking when I woke up in the middle of the night and it was quiet and I was alone and the thought hit me, I thought, well, who would I call if I thought the rapture had taken place? Because if I called somebody that I thought was godly, they shouldn't answer the phone. And then I got to thinking, what if somebody called me? What name would break my heart? If I looked on that phone and went, oh, dad, that would shock me. I won't go into names It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> All of a sudden, I begin to think about this. And I fell back to sleep thinking about this caller ID and I got up the next morning and as I sat with a cup of coffee in the Broken Bow uh, Fellowship Hall, I began to write out four sermons. The titles and the scriptures and the ideas of caller ID. And I, I come up with the idea that we have caller ID on our phones nowadays. I remember the first time we got a caller ID at the house. A little box that sat next to the phone. Some of you remember those days. Back when we still had phones that were attached to the wall. And, and, and it would come up and tell you who was calling. And man, that was a wonderful thing. Because now we have the opportunity to screen calls. We can now look. And go, oh, I don't want to talk to them. Capital One, nope, I'm busy. Dad, he might give me money, yes. What do you? Beth, no, not right now. Brian, no. And all of a sudden, we began to start being able to screen calls. And today, that's what we're going to talk about is screening calls. The other thing caller ID allows us to do is allows us to answer some calls. We're going to be talking about that in two weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about the calls that we don't answer. And then the last week of this month, we're going to talk about whose, call, whose number do you not want to see on your caller ID. And it's going to be a great time. Caller ID is the way we live today. Many will not answer a call unless we know who it is on the other end of the line. I'm going to tell you, if your name and number is not saved in my phone, I ain't answering. So if you call and you get my voicemail, please leave a message because maybe I don't have your number in my phone and I don't know who you are and I'm not answering the phone. I answered the phone the other day for a number, a local 660 number that I didn't recognize. I thought, oh, well, maybe I need to check it. And I answered the phone and it says, congratulations, you've won. Or I answered the phone the other day and they said, congratulations to us, you owe us. And I thought, oh man, I didn't want to talk to them, I owe them money. And so we screen our calls. Today I want to talk for a few minutes about the screened calls in our life and where we need to pay attention to calls that we ignore and calls that we answer. Let me tell you something. There are a few calls we need to screen. Some of you need to right now start screening some calls emotionally and spiritually in your life. Because you're letting way too many people speak into your heart, speak into your mind. And you're confused and you're upset and you're in turmoil. Not because of things that you've done. Not because of things that God has done. Not even because of things the devil has done. But because you've allowed too many voices to speak in your head. We need to start screening some calls. We need to start making some decisions. I want you opening open your Bibles with me today. Second Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible today. It says this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt and sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings But they're never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janius and Jambres oppose Moses. They they have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they don't get away with it for long. But they won't get away with it for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are just as Janius and Jambres. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach, how I live, and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I per- how I was persecuted in Antioch, Ithium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, to everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will be themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. You know you can trust those who taught you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you right now. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your mercy, your grace, your peace. And Lord, I ask that you would send your victory, send your power, and send your anointing onto this service. Lord, I give you glory, I give you praise, and I give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we're talking about screening calls. We need to screen the thoughts and the actions in our life. We need to come to a place that just like we screen our telephone call. Why do we screen calls? We screen calls because we don't want to talk to certain people at certain times. I've had a hard time with this. Used to, I could There was a day that I wouldn't have been able to preach this message. Because there was a time in my life that I was so caught up with being the center of attention that I had to answer every time the phone rang. Because somebody wanted to talk to me. Oh, it's just a telemarketer, but they wanted to talk to me. They called me. Oh, oh, it's just this one or that one. Oh, but they want to talk to me. I mean, I I I I couldn't let a phone ring. I got news for you. I have been delivered of that affliction. I told the MIPs at the MIP seminar last month. I told them that I have learned the art of Forgetting to turn the ringer on on my phone from Sunday morning service till sometime about Wednesday. Oops. You know why? Because Mondays I am exhausted. And I don't really, you know, if I see the phone, I'll answer it. I often will call people back, but I don't even turn the ringer on for a day. Why? So I don't have to not answer it. Sometimes we need to screen our call. I'll be driving down the road and thinking and praying and praising or listening to sports. And all of a sudden, my phone will start ringing, and in my car, it rings through the car. And I will look on my phone, and it'll say, Brian Githens. When, when when Brian first came and become a part of our church, he didn't call me very often. I think it's because he had a real job back then and he didn't have time to call me. And, and when he would call me, I would give him my patent answer. Greetings and salutations, hellos, hatties, highs, and all that. Because you have the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, and soon coming King. Pastor Brian doesn't have a real job anymore. He's letting that leg heal. And so he's got more time. Randy's got the same face I get sometimes. And he calls me. Let me tell you something. Brian doesn't get greetings. And say, he says hello, howdy, highs, all that good jazz. In Jesus' name, Lord, Savior, whatever it is. You know what he gets? He gets, yeah. What well, do you want? Uh-huh. Why? Because, uh, again, I was listening to Sports Center, and Brian called. You see, we screen calls because we need to control who speaks in our life. I got news for you. I've had a few seasons in my life where people want to speak nastiness into my life. They want to argue. They want to. They want to fuss. They want to fight. I'm going to pick when I'm going to talk to them about that, Pastor. You mean if I'm mad at you and I call you, you may not answer. Not if I'm in a. You don't want me to answer if I'm not in a good mood. You don't want me to be honest with you. I I, I had somebody call me one time in a situation, and I was not in a good mood. And, and and I will not give you all the details of the call, but I will tell you that probably responded in a way that I probably shouldn't have. I I I told them that if I had the choice, I wouldn't be putting up with them. If I was, if I had the choice to deal with you, I'd tell you to go away. Basically, is what I told them because I wasn't in a good mood. I should have screened that call. And so, as I begin to talk about screening calls, I want us to understand that emotionally we get calls every day. Spiritually, we get calls every day. Sometimes we call them temptation. On the first slide that I had, it said in the caller ID section, it said temptations. The devil will contact us with opportunities to think wrong, to do wrong, to act wrong. And God will call us emotionally and spiritually to think right and to do right and to act right. And we've got to decide which of these calls that we are going to answer. We need to screen some calls to our heart and to our minds. In this passage of Scripture, we read Paul was instructing Timothy to pay attention to his life versus the life of his culture. Culture will mess with with us. There are several calls that I see that comes in, according to Paul. He says, sometimes the phone's going to ring. Selfishness is going to be on the other end of the line. He says... In the second verse of chapter 3, he says, For people will love only themselves and their money. Now, as I go into this, I don't think I need to tell you, hopefully you heard this when I read the Scriptures, when Paul lays out what the last days are going to look like, he lays out a picture of today. He lays out exactly where we're at. And one of the things he says first is that people will be lovers of only themselves. It's all about me. Sometimes the only worship we know is worship of ourself. And people will call you and talk about themselves. The devil will call you and talk about you. Last week we talked about Paul walking through the streets of Philippi and the demonic spirit came and began to praise him. Begin to say, oh, listen, these men are, are men of God. You need to hear their voice. And it sounds so positive. And I talked about it last week, how that sometimes the voice of the enemy will bring praise to you. Because if he can bring praise to you, it takes praise away from God. Now, I got news for you. You want something that's going to mess up your life quicker than anything? Let people start praising you. Mm. let people come up and say, oh, you preach good. Can I tell you the best, usually the best preacher in the church? Anybody other than the pastor. When I was a youth pastor, man, I get to preach. People, oh, we like that kind of preaching. Oh, that was awesome. Because I wasn't the pastor. Pastor. Oh, I'm an evangelist. When I get to go evangelize and preach a revival somewhere, oh, man, you think I was Curtis Silcox. man? Oh, wow, you're so good. Wish we had preaching like that around here all the time. Now, as an evangelist, I thought that was pretty cool. As a pastor, I thought that call needed to be screened. Because... I've been there as a pastor when people have come up to an evangelist or to my father and say, oh, I wish we had preaching like that all the time. And I'm like, hey, hey, who am I, chopped liver? Some of them said, yeah, you are. Uh, it, it's, it's about building up. It's about building a personality Rather than building God. When the devil starts speaking to you. And praising you. Oh I've been there. Oh. You're better at that than they are. Oh. If they could do that as good as you do that. Oh I've sat in camp meeting services. With great preachers preaching the house down. The anointing flowing. And had the devil sit in my ear and go. Well, they should have let you preach. You can preach that sermon better than he could. You know what? It it was a call from selfishness. It was a call from self-grandization. I think that's a word. If not, I just made it one. I had the power to do that. It, it, It was a call from puffing up your ego selfishness will call you and tell you that everything is about you and everything that you do is best. But every time God gives you a call of selfishness, Jesus will give you a call of purpose. Verse 10, it says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You see, when we begin to move away from selfishness and we begin to understand the purpose of our life. See, my life is not about preaching. Oh, I love to preach. I, I like it when somebody says that was a good sermon. That's good for my ego. But that's not my purpose. My purpose in preaching is to point people to Jesus Christ. My purpose in preaching is that I would be diminished and he would be uh, uh, risen up. My purpose is to share a word that God has shared with me that has affected me so maybe it can affect you. Your purpose should never be selfish. When God has given you a purpose, and God has given every one of you a purpose. Yeah. When the devil calls you with selfish ideas, this is about you. You need to get your way. You need to do you need to tell them that you get it this way. This is the way you want it. You need to answer and listen for God to call you with purpose. You need to forgive. You need to show patience and peace and courage and faith. Selfishness says that's my seat. Purpose says, Lord, fill my seat with somebody else. Selfishness says, that's my ministry. That's my position. Purpose says, let me teach you to do what I do so I can do something else. Selfishness says, I'm tired and I just want to come to church and listen to the preacher. Purpose says, Pastor, where can I serve? How can I do ministry? See, we got to decide which call are we going to answer. And I'm going to tell you those calls are going to come together. There are times that I know if one person calls me, especially with the situation, that somebody else is going to call right behind them. I know they go together. Too many times, very often in our house, my phone will ring and it'll be Anthony. And within a few minutes, best phone will ring and it'll be Michael. Especially if they're in the same town at the same time. Anthony will call me and say, Michael is unbearable. And just a few minutes, best phone will ring and it'll be Michael saying, Mom, Aunt just doesn't know what he's doing. If one of them call if one of them calls us and says they're fighting with the other, the other person in our house, if it's Aunt Michael calling Beth and she says, Well, just calm down, your brother. I go get my phone and wait for Anthony to call. Because I know they're fighting. Let me tell you something. When selfishness calls, God's going to let purpose call. He's going to give you a call of prayer. He's going to give you a choice. But you've got to decide. Do you want what feels good? Or what does good? See, too many times, we just want to feel good. Selfishness feels good. Purpose does good. Doesn't always feel good. Sometimes purpose puts other people first. But it does good. I got to keep moving. I got 17,000 more points to go. A lot of phone calls. Another call we get Last part of verse two, it says, They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. He's talking about pride. Pride calls us and says, You can have anything you want. It's about me, it's my way. I'm good enough for this. I get this. I, 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 I. It's the I syndrome. I am so good. I am so good. See, some of us sing those kind of worship songs more than we sing his worship songs. We sing them with our actions. We walk in the church and we... mm, Understand not everybody that carries a big Bible falls into this platform. But sometimes we walk into church carrying a forty pound Bible, trying to tell people how holy and how good we are, because our Bible is my Bible's bigger than your Bible. I'm more powerful than you are. And we walk into the house of God with a pride that destroys every bit of witnessing we have. We've come in with a pride that says, it's all about me, it's about my talent, it's about my ability, it's about my desire. What you do is sinful, but what I do is forgiven. What you do is evil, but what I do is understood. See, God understands. I know that shouldn't be right, but God understands. When pride calls your life God sends a phone call of faith. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, or the evidence of things not seen. You know what that means? You can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't prove it. That's what makes it faith. See, too many of us, we don't understand. That when God says, I want you to trust me, it means that we got to have faith in things we can't see. I can see me. My dad had a saying the whole time I was growing up. And as my kids began to grow, I rolled it to being our family motto. At one point, Anthony drew a family crest for our family. And he looked up this phrase in, in Latin, I think, or, or some language, and he put it underneath the family crest. It says, where there's a will, there's usually relatives. The whole time I was growing up, every time we were doing anything, Dad would say, where there's a will, there's usually relatives. And I thought, what in the world does that mean? But I found out what that means is that we're problem solvers. That's what Anthony does for a living now. A big part of his job on the boat is to fix problems. We, we see an issue, and we go, oh, well, if we do this, if we do that, if we do this, we can make it work. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Dad and I have this talent. We can make things work. Rarely do we make them work Right. But we can make them work. I've told you before, when I was a kid, I loved it when my bicycle would break. And my dad would get out there and start trying to fix my bike. Because that usually meant I was getting a new bike. Because he would get it to work in, but it didn't work right. And, And we get ourselves in things where we think from our pride that we can fix this. If we can make it look right, it has to be right. Just because it looks right doesn't mean it is right. But God calls and says, move away from your pride and have some faith. But God, I can't see it. God, I can't touch it. God, I I can't understand how this is supposed to work. And God said, that's why we call it faith. You have to believe in what you can't see. And when we begin to answer the calls of faith and screen out the calls of pride, we begin to walk in God's victory rather than ours. Next call we get is call of unforgiveness. Verse 3, they will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. I think the biggest struggle that we have in the modern church is too many people have answered the call of unforgiveness. I know what you did. I can't forgive you for the words you said. I can't forgive you for the actions you did. We're unforgiving to fellow church members. We're unforgiving to current and former pastors and ministers. We're unforgiving to our children, to our parents. Pretty soon, we have relationships that are fractured and torn because somebody made one statement or stood on one principle that you didn't agree with 30 years ago. Somebody decided to do something you didn't think was right 25 years ago. And your relationship with them is fractured. But more important than that, you begin to carry an unforgiveness in your heart. That God says, "I can't. If you don't forgive those that trespass against you, my Father can't forgive you." Do you understand? We talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as the only unforgivable sin. Unforgiveness is an unforgivable sin. As long as we carry it, Christ, God cannot, according to the Word of God, according to the Sermon on the Mount, God cannot forgive us if we don't forgive other people. But you don't know what my daddy did to me. I understand it may have been horrible, it may have been unbearable, but you have to forgive. Because if they repent of what they've done to you, but you don't forgive them, they'll go to heaven and you'll go to hell. But you don't know what this one did. I'm going to tell you, I grew up in a pastor's home. I've been in the preacher's house my whole life. I can tell you some stories about some things some people have done to me, have done to my dad. I can tell you about times that they talked about us. Times that they ran us out. Times that they slandered us publicly. But if I don't forgive, I'm destined for judgment. But unforgiveness feels so good. It does. You know what they did to me? I'll never forgive them for that. You feel like you've taken power and authority, but the truth of the matter is, what you've done is you've given over your life. We need to screen that call. And we need to accept the call of patience. See if I can get it to come up here. It didn't change. We need to accept the call of patience. Ah! Oh, Pastor, don't ask for patience. Some of you have heard me say this. You know what's wrong with the modern church? Forgive me. You know what's wrong with Souls Harbor? We spent way too many years telling people not to ask for patience. And according to the Bible, when patience comes, we'll have trial. We have difficulty, but when patience has completed its work, we have maturity. You know why? Why we got a bunch of crying spiritual babies still wearing diapers in the church today? It's because nobody's ever allowed patience to come into life and bring maturity. Come on, it, it's high time we quit talking about how we don't want to build patience. We don't want to go through hard times. We would. I'm going to tell you, I'd rather still be a baby. When I was a baby, man, it was awesome. If I was busy playing, I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I could keep playing and go to the bathroom at the same time. Because I had a diaper on. And when it came time to clean it up, that wasn't my problem. Daddy had to do that. I didn't have to worry about it. See, we laugh at that, but I'm going to tell you, we got a lot of people set on our church pews every week, and that's how they live spiritually. I'll do whatever I want to do, and it's pastor's job to clean up the mess. We need to answer the call of patience. We need to say, God, give me patience. Oh, yeah, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a bad week. Some of you are going to have a bad year. Here's some heard somebody go, oh, no. Let me tell you something. You know what happens at the end of that year, though? According to the book of James, when patience has run its course, we become mature and complete and lacking nothing. You know what happened to me? I was a baby, and then I started growing up a little bit. And this evil woman right here, she'd give me whippings. If she had to clean out my dirty drawers. Yeah. She was mean. She put me through things that I didn't like. She she wouldn't she would make me clean out my own underwear. Honest. <laughs> Mama, it stinks. She goes, I know. I've been changing her for years. She pushed me. But I got good news. I have had clean drawers for years now. Why? Because I came through some hard times. I came through Now, Let me tell you something. The problem is it didn't stop there. I got older and I faced more issues. And there were times that mom and dad would take care of it. And then there were times they said, Oh no, that's your problem. You fix it. I know I gotta hurry, but I gotta tell this story. Me and Beth had started seeing each other. We had started getting serious. Beth came out to visit. On a fall break, I would went back to school. It was it was just before we got engaged. She came home with me on fall break. And we lived in the Parsonage in Ada, Oklahoma. And that, that Parsonage, I mean, it had a hallway that was like 75 miles long. If you got back in the back bedroom, it was like you were in another county. I mean, it was the way that house was laid out. Well, Beth was back. She was staying in that bedroom. She was back in that bedroom. Me and mom and dad are in the living room, and I don't remember what got it going. But we got to talking about me and Beth. And we got to talking about, I was telling them how that I think this is the one. And my dad says, well, wait a minute, you can't get married. I said, what do you mean I can't get married? He goes, I pay your car payment. I pay your insurance. I pay your credit card bills. You're not even taking care of yourself. How are you going to take care of a wife? And the next thing I know, Beth comes walking out. She, she tells the story. It's great. She comes walking down that hallway. She says she get about three-quarter away, and she hears something. She walks into the living room. Me and Dad are standing nose to nose, going at it. Ba-da-da-da. Mom's sitting on the couch crying. <laughs> Beth said she walked in, saw us, and turned around and went all the way back to that back bedroom. We got through that night. We go back to college. I went and picked up a third shift, full-time third shift job with senior levels of classes. When I left the house that weekend, I said, I'm taking all my bills with me. Either they'll come get my car, or I'll figure out a way to pay it. And from that moment on, well, until a little while ago, I paid my own bills. Now they're paying bills again, but that's good. No, they're, they've always helped. But I had to learn to stand on my feet. And it was hard. But God gave me Beth. A few months later, we were engaged. And 17,000 years later, we finally got married. 26 years, 26 and a half years ago. I did find out this morning we have been friends for nine years, according to Facebook, which is I thought was pretty good. Most people have been married 26 years, haven't been friends for nine. So uh, when patience comes, when patience comes, it teaches us to move beyond ourself. When patience comes into our life, it teaches us to become mature. It counters acts, that unforgiveness. The unforgiveness feels good for a moment. Patience gives us maturity for all of time. The last two calls that we get, the devil will send us a call of religion. Verse 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. It's the curse of the modern church. Instead of answering a call to God of faith, of patience, we answer the call of the devil to make us religious. Instead of having a relationship with him and understanding his power and understanding his authority, we become satisfied with religion. I go to church every Sunday. I've read the Bible. I sing the first line of every song they sing and then I sit down and do whatever I want to do. Oh, did I say that out loud? We've decided that as long as we look religious, as long as we appear pious, that's pretty good. But the problem is there's no power in it. God sends an answer. To the call of religion. Into verse 10, he says, You know my faith, my patience, and my love. You know my love. Verse 14 says, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been seen, things that you have been taught, and know that they are true, and you know you can trust those who taught you. You've got to have love. I would trade every religious person in every church I know for some people that love. In the last week, we've seen a a rising picture. Many of us on social media have seen a rising picture of the difference between religious people and people that love. Because God has apparently reached down and grabbed a hold of a very public life and done something amazing in that life. Near to the conversion of Saul. And an artist by the name of Kanye West. Kanye West, if you'd have told me that some well-known person was going to accept Christ, Kanye West would have been low on the list. But all of a sudden, he's had an encounter with God, and I'm going to tell you, I don't know him personally, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you something. Everything I've heard him say, he's more spot on than most church people I know. I, I I'm not going to deny what God's doing, but there's a group of religious people out there. Oh, he's gonna fall. You give him six months. See, we do that in local church. Somebody walks in church and go, oh well, it won't last. Oh, they've been here before, they'll leave again. Oh, I know what they did. I got news for you. Loving people are saying, Isn't it wonderful? That the gospel of Jesus Christ is being shed in a way that society is listening. I'm going to tell you, there has been more ministry in the last week on social media coming from Kanye West and about Kanye West than than us long-term preachers has done and been able to impact our society anywhere. He's been on every talk show. And he's not promoting himself. He promoting God. I heard him on one talk show. As they said, well, so do you now consider yourself a Christian artist? He looked at him and he looked puzzled. He said, I consider myself a Christian everything. I got news for you. We got a lot of people that consider their, themselves Christian church people, but they don't consider their, themselves Christian employees. I, I saw him put up posts about the the chains and the bondage of pornography that started when he was five and six years old and how that God had to break him. And until we let God break the chains of pornography, we can't see life. And in the church, we're afraid to talk about it. Religious people say, I can't handle him. He's out there. He's weird. I know what he used to do. People that love say, God, show your love through him. See, we've got to choose what calls we're going to answer. Are are we going to answer the calls of the devil that are going to make us selfish and prideful and unforgiving and religious? Listen to those four things. Selfish, prideful, unforgiving, and religious. It sounds like the church. Selfish, I only want the music I like. Prideful, everything needs to be done for me. Unforgiving, they don't belong here. And religious, I know the word, but I don't know the writer of the word. Or are we going to come to a place that we begin to live our life with faith? We begin to live our life with patience. We begin to live our life with, with, with love. We begin to, to be forgiving and faithful and patient. And we begin to let God do in us what we can't do in ourselves. Church, you need to screen some calls in your heart. Because you're going to get a call that's going to be Selfish. I don't need that. I don't need that thought. I don't need that mindset. I don't need that action. Lord, let me be trusting. Let me be faithful. Begin to answer God's call for patience. It hurts, it's hard, it's painful. But it's productive. Where? What call are you going to answer? What call are you going to say yes? Next week, we're going to talk about unanswered calls. But we're going to go to the times that God calls us and we say no. No. No, I can't do that. Going to talk about what you lose when you don't answer God's call. Two weeks from the day, we're going to talk about answered calls. We're going to talk about what you gain when you answer God's call. I tell you something. We've got some choices, but we've got to start by becoming picky on what we allow. To speak into our life every time you answer a phone you let somebody talk to you we become pros at deciding who we let speak to us can we become pros at who we let speak to us spiritually can we screen some calls? let let's go to Lord in prayer dear heavenly father Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness and your peace. Lord, I want you to direct my steps. Lord, give me the ability to move in faith, in purpose, in patience, and in love. Lord, help me to refuse the calls of selfishness, pride, unforgiveness, and religion. Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to my spirit. And let me walk in your glory. Before we close today, I want to just take a few moments and I want to invite you to join me in this altar. Pastor, what's the altar call? The altar call is, some of you have been taking a bunch of calls. And you need to find a place And say, God, install a caller ID in my heart. Let me start refusing some things so that I can accept the right ones. Let me know who's calling. Will you come and join me in the altar right now and just ask God to direct your decisions right now. Just for a few moments. Won't take long. Come and join me in these altars.